Welcome to Walk in the Truth Podcast. Have you ever looked back in time and considered how certain defining moments have shaped your life and future? Today, John Metter, lead pastor of Cross City Church, looks at the importance of defining moments and how we can recognize what God is saying through them. Good morning. Happy Father's Day, guys. It's amazing how long five seconds is when you just have to stand and watch it. <laughs> that was a long five seconds or whatever that was. So we're, we're in a series called Defining Moments, and Pastor John defined it last week, I believe, a moment in time when our life changed, a time when you see God in that moment. I want to add to that definition today because I'm going to be talking about a defining moment in my life and for me, defining moments, it's, it's moments that show us who we are. It, it reveals our real character, who we are. It's a moment that forces us to fully rely on God. It's a moment that challenges us and stretches us, our faith, stretches our faith to new levels of intimacy with him. John, two weeks ago, talked about a moment of silence in his life. Last week, he talked about moments of faith and this week, I'm going to talk about a trust and obey moment. A trust and obey moment. It's that moment in your life when you're faced with a choice. Do I trust God and do what he says or do I do it my way? Ever have one of those moments? Do I trust God and do what he says or am I going to do it my way? So a passage of scripture that was particularly precious to me in my moment I'm going to talk about this morning is Jeremiah 29 11 through 14a and I want us to stand and read that together I'll read it out loud so if you'll find that in your Bible or in your smartphone or on your tablet Jeremiah 29 11 through 14 it says this for I know the plans that I have for you declares the Lord plans for welfare and not for calamity to give you a future and a hope. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this promise, for these verses that are so meaningful to me, I pray you'll open our hearts and minds to hear and to see what you want us to understand today in this passage of scripture. I pray you will bless our time now and I ask all these things in Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated, thank you. So I grew up in a pastor's home, Jimmy and Carol Ann Draper, are my parents, and to be honest, it was a great blessing to grow up in their home. Um, they're the real deal. What you see is what you get. Uh, I went to Baylor University. I had 11 friends that were all pastor's kids. They were wheels off wild as they could be. And when we would talk about our dads, they had nothing kind to say about their dad other than he was a hypocrite and wasn't the same at home that he was in the pulpit at church. I had the exact opposite experience. My dad was the same at home as he was at the church. My dad loved people and he loved the people in his home. My dad wanted to serve people and he served the people in his home. So I grew up watching mom and dad's faith and realizing they didn't just talk about faith, but they exercised their faith every single day. So I wasn't the typical PK, preacher's kid. 
I loved having my dad be my pastor, and I grew up seeing their faith lived out in action every single day. Matter of fact, my mom would pray for parking places at the mall or at the store, and I'm not kidding you, it was amazing how many times she had the front first space by the door. And she was praising Jesus all the way in from the parking lot with three children trying, trying to get in that building. But God, I saw that answering her prayers. I remember one year I needed basketball shoes and my mom said, Randy, we don't have the money. We just need to pray for those basketball shoes. And lo and behold, we began to pray. And guess what? God provided those basketball shoes. So I grew up in a home that exercised faith, that lived out faith, and it was a real faith on an everyday basis. Now, I met Elizabeth at 15 in the youth group at First Baptist Dallas. We married at 19, and I gotta be honest, our faith really became a mirror image of my parents' faith. She says, uh, Randy, when, when, I, uh, came into your, when you came into my life, I became part of your family. I grew up knowing about faith, but I didn't ever grow up really seeing it lived out on a daily basis or hearing it talked about as freely as you guys do. Her dad was a Methodist minister. Their family knew about faith, but it was more of a private thing to them. And it wasn't something they talked about on a regular basis. So when she became part of our family, our faith just became a model of what we had seen in my mom and dad. So in 1983, We got married in 77, so five and a half years later, in 1983, we decided to build our first home. And I thought, well, I can't build it. I was a dropout architectural major. Can I get a high five? Um, I didn't make it my six years of school. And so I always had a dream to be a home builder. So I thought, well, let's build a house. I surely could do it, but I'm gonna need some help. So I asked some guys to consult me through the process. Well, 30 days into building our new home with these guys' help, I decided, you know what? I wanna be a home builder. So I went and had a couple of hats made, Draper Custom Homes. I had a couple of golf shirts, Draper Custom Homes. I got some business cards. I had one sign printed and I put it in front of our new house we were building. And within 90 days, I had three build jobs in the same neighborhood. God just unbelievably opened the door for me to become a home builder. I was living my dream. Oh my goodness. It was exciting every single day. I couldn't wait to get up and get out there and do my thing. And I was a good Christian. Liz and I taught youth Sunday school here at First Baptist Euless. I, uh, we worked with them on Wednesday nights. I was a deacon in the church. I played trombone and, and uh played the bass guitar in the choir and the ensemble. I mean, we were fully engaged and we were involved in what life was giving us through our church and in my business. I was living my dream. Oh my gosh. That was in 1983 to 85. And then all of a sudden, 1985, the Great Recession was what they called it in Texas, hit our state. It was the greatest recession since the Great Depression. So they called it the Great Recession. And overnight, I had 15 houses under construction. Those houses became sitting empty because nobody could buy them. 
Exxon executives, JCPenney executives, they lost their jobs. They didn't have the money. Overnight, guess what? I had 15 houses sitting empty for the next two years. It took us two years to short sell every single one of those homes. My dream became a nightmare. And I'll never forget, I remember thinking, Lord, I'm serving you. I'm giving to the church faithfully. What have I done to deserve this? This shouldn't be happening to me, right? Did you know sometimes when we are believers, we have a tendency to believe that if we trust Christ and if we love God, everything should be perfect. Did you know that's not scriptural? (laughs) I don't find it anywhere in scripture. Somehow we've created that that thought, that doctrine amongst ourselves, but the reality is God promises us that he will be with us, but he doesn't promise us that every day will be easy. We sought out wise counsel, and it seemed like everybody that we talked to was encouraging us to file bankruptcy. And the more we prayed about it, the more we thought about it, we just felt like God was saying no. He kept saying, no, Randy, trust me. No, Randy, trust me. And let me just say something right here because we owed a lot of money, but if you owe 5,000 and you don't have it, did you know that's a lot of money? If you owe $5 to somebody and you don't have it, do you know, can we all agree that's a lot of money? So I'm gonna throw out some really big figures, but please don't get distracted by the figures because whatever the figure might be in your mind, it's a lot of money. When all the air cleared, I still owed at the banks and some suppliers and subcontractors $750,000. All the properties are gone. I still owe $750,000. My mentor for 25 years, one day we were talking, he said, Randy, if God needed to get my attention, I would have only had to lose $5,000. He said, you must really be bullheaded because you needed to lose $750,000. Here's the reality. How do you lose money when you didn't have it? I didn't lose 750,000. I didn't have it, but I owed 750,000 unsecured debt. God kept saying, no, trust me. So I asked God, I said, God, I need a promise. You're telling me to trust you. You're telling me not to file bankruptcy. Everybody in my circle that I uh, hold dear for their wise counsel is saying, you ought to go file bankruptcy. Did you know the bankruptcy laws of America are based loosely, I'm going to say, on the year of Jubilee in the Old Testament when every seven years they had the year of Jubilee and all debts were forgiven. Wouldn't we love to start that? Every seven years, all debt was forgiven. So the bankruptcies laws are loosely patterned after that. But the reality is if you're in a situation and you need to file bankruptcy, it is legal in America for you to do that. For me, God said no. And I had a choice. Am I going to do it God's way or am I going to do it Randy's way? I kept getting counsel. I kept trying to justify, I'm gonna go file bankruptcy. God kept saying no. Here's the promise he gave me, Jeremiah 29, 11. For I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans for welfare and not for calamity to give you a future and a hope. And the moment I read that, I went, okay, God, I trust you. You're telling me don't do it and I am not gonna go file. I am gonna trust you. 
You know what I believed? Man, I got so excited. I started telling people, God gave me a promise and I know it's just for me. And I found out, guess what? He's given Jeremiah 29, 11 to a lot of people. I thought it was just for me, but it wasn't. He's encouraged a lot of you and, and, and me as well through that verse of scripture. And so we, we thought it was just for us, but the reality, it wasn't just for us, but it was specific, excuse me, specific to our situation. And God was giving that to us so that we could trust and obey him in that moment. Did you know you have to have money when you file bankruptcy? So I'm out of money, I can't pay anybody. And the attorney says, well, we need $5,000 retainer. <laughs> right, okay. I didn't know that. So we had to pray about it. And then we went and asked Elizabeth's grandparents and they loaned us $5,000 just so we could file bankruptcy. The day came, we're sitting at a conference table as big as this stage. We're in the middle on this side, the attorneys are over there. And, and again, God has told us not to file, but I don't know that I have any other way. Did you know three creditors can throw you into involuntary bankruptcy if they all agree they can do that? And I had more than three and I kept thinking any day it's gonna happen, I better just go make it happen and move on. Even though God's told us not to, we're sitting at the table, those documents slide across the table to us and I looked at Elizabeth, you know guys, we don't cry, we just get something in our eye. Did y'all know that? <laughs> What's wrong, Randy? Oh, I got something in my eye, just a second. I had tears in my eyes and I remember I looked at Liz and I said, I can't sign these papers. And she had tears in her eyes. She looked back at me and she said, I can't sign them either. The Holy Spirit, that moment was so heavy in the room. I've never felt it quite like that before after, I mean, again, since, but it was so obvious the Holy Spirit of, of God was on us in that room saying, no, Randy, trust me. And it was a defining moment. It was a trust and obey moment. God said, I have a plan, Randy, but you have to trust and obey. Let me tell you three significant insights I learned from that experience. Here's the first one. God has a plan for you, but you have a choice. <laughs> God has a plan for you, but you have a choice. Did you know God's had a plan since the beginning? From the very beginning, he had a plan. John 3, 16, we all probably could quote that verse, most of us in this room, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Guess what? God already had a plan. Sometimes we need to add our name in there, for God so loved Randy. He gave, he sent his only begotten son. See, God sent Jesus just for you. And if you're in this worship center today and you've never made a faith decision to follow Christ, guess what? God has a plan for you, but you have a choice. The apostle Paul in Romans 10, nine was talking about uh, <clears throat> how we come to Christ. He says that if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. 
We had a group in our home. Many of the couples that were in our home were from Northern New York. One of the young men that was there had been raised Catholic in New York and was an Italian. So he had a staunch background in his uh, faith. And he said, Randy, could you talk to me for a few minutes? So he went into my office and he started asking me questions about my relationship with Jesus. And I was answering his questions and I said, hey, Adrian, let me just tell you, don't take my word for it. Let me just tell you what the Bible says. I turned to Romans 10, 9. I said that if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord. And all of a sudden, all I hear is Jesus is Lord. I mean, it scared me to death. But I continued on. I said, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. He said, I believe, Randy, I believe God raised Jesus from the dead. I said, then Adrian, you will be saved. I'm not kidding you when I say this. In a twinkling of an eye, I watched the countenance of that young man totally change. He didn't pray the sinner's prayer. I don't even read that in this text. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with leading someone in a prayer of confession of their sins. That's important. But in that moment, what God showed me was, if you, if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. God has a plan for you, but do you want to do it? It's your choice. He never forces his plan on us. Giving our life to Christ is the greatest decision we'll ever make. I love what Max Licato has to say about it. He's my favorite author. Listen to this. There are many reasons God saves you. To bring glory to himself, to appease his justice, to demonstrate his sovereignty. But one of the sweetest reasons God saved you is because he is fond of you. He likes having you around. He thinks you're the best thing to come down the pike in quite a while. If God had a refrigerator, your picture would be on it. If he had a wallet, your photo would be in it. He sends you flowers every spring and a sunrise every morning. Whenever you want to talk, he'll listen. He can live anywhere in the universe, and he chose your heart. Face it, friend. He's crazy about you. Wow. The God of the universe is crazy about us. He wants to live in our heart. And guess what? We just have to choose to trust and obey. You can choose his way or your way. Look at verse 12 again, just quickly. It says, then you will call upon me and come and pray to me and I will listen to you. This week when I was preparing and and reading this scripture, it's like that word then jumped off the page at me. It's like, Randy, then after you lose your pride, you'll call on me. Randy, when your back is up against the wall, you'll call on me. When you finally realize your plan doesn't work, Randy, you're gonna call on me, then you'll call on me. He's talking to the children of Israel. They're in Babylon, they're in captivity. He's saying, I have plans for you, plural. He's got a plan for everybody, not just for a few somebodies. And guess what? He said, then after you have gone to all lengths to do everything you can to resolve your situation, then you're gonna call on me. And guess what? I will listen to you. So God has a plan, but you have a choice. Here's the second significant insight I want you to see. God has a promise for you, but do you believe it? God has a promise for you, 
but do you believe it? Look at this promise again, just quickly. Verse 11, it says, Randy, I have plans for you. Verse 12, Randy, I will listen to you. Verse 14, Randy, I will be found by you. But there's a condition for verse 14. It says, you'll seek me, Randy, and you'll find me, Randy, when you search for me with all your heart. Why are we so stubborn? Is anybody in here stubborn besides me? Anybody? Why am I so stubborn? Why do I wait until everything I've done is exhausted and all I can do is just look up and then call to the Lord? I'll never forget a few years into our, what I call 10 and a half years of hell on earth. God asked me to trust him. I did, but guess what? He didn't promise it was going to be easy, and it wasn't. One day I'm saying, God, why is this taking so long? I wish for my God glasses. Wouldn't it be awesome if we just had a pair of God glasses? And we could just put them on. And we could see what God's doing. We could understand the situation. Maybe somebody in your family's dealing with a health issue, cancer. Maybe somebody's dealing with financial issues. Maybe there's a relational issue between the husband and the wife or the children and the parents or, or, an, or a, a relative and in-laws or, or cousins, whatever. Wouldn't it be great if we could understand why is all this happening? Why is this going on? But guess what? God didn't give us God glasses, but he gave us his word. And if we just spend time reading his word, oh my goodness, the answers for every question we'll ever have in our mind are all found right here in his word to us, his love letter written to us. I said, God, why is this taking so long? He gave me another promise. Look at this, 1 Peter 5.10. Randy, and after you've suffered for a little while, I'm thinking, I've already suffered three and a half years. After you've suffered a little while, the God of all grace who called you to his eternal glory in Christ will himself perfect, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. Perfect means mature you in your faith. Confirm means you're confirmed in what you're doing for the Lord and how you're behaving and how you're responding and how you're obeying in the process. Strengthen and establish you in whatever it is you're going through. I never forget reading that going, Lord, I want all four of those words to be a description of my life. See, God had a promise for me, but do you believe it? I had to believe it. So let me ask you a couple of questions. Do you, do you believe God is in control? I hear people say, amen. But you know, sometimes actions speak louder than words. Colossians 3, 3, look at this little verse, your, your life is hidden with Christ in God. In 2 Corinthians 5, 17, it says, if you're in Christ, you're a new creation. So I have a little illustration my mom taught me, and I just want to show it to you. But here we are, and Colossians 3, 3 says, you're hidden with Christ in God. So here's another question. When a situation comes into your life, how did it get there? class. Anybody want to take a guess? Through God, through Christ, to you, right? Through God, through Christ, you're in Christ, in God. Guess what? 
So the bigger question is not, why is this happening to me? Here's the big question is, what does God want me to learn from this situation? Right? He allowed it. It's in your life. It's not accidental. He, he, he allowed that to come into your life. So you have to ask why, not why, but what does he want me to learn from this? Do you believe God is in control? Here's another question. Do you believe God will forgive you? I'm amazed how many believers are still asking forgiveness for something they did 20 years ago. They still feel guilty. They're still holding on to regret. They're still struggling with something they did. Guess what? God says he will forgive you. Look at 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He's faithful. Look at Psalm 103, 12. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. Oh my gosh, these are two fantastic promises that God's given us, but do you believe it? If you go north, you cross the, you cross the North Pole and you go uh, south. Does everybody know that? This is a smart class. We have a remedial group in, in, in here. You go north, you're going south, but if you take off going east, do you ever go west? Do you get the picture of what God was saying right here? I remove your sin, Randy, as far as the east is from the west. If you're going east and you never go west, then how far is that? God removes our sin infinitely away from us the devil is the one who's trying to stir you up and keep you frustrated and, and focus on something that God's already forgiven you for. Guess what? Do you believe it? God's promise, you're forgiven, but do you believe it? The disciples struggled with what they believe. In Mark 4, the story of Jesus getting in the boat, they were going to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, I believe it was. In verse 38, the storm comes up in, in 35 and, or 36 and 7, and in verse 38, the Bible says, and, and if you read it, it's, it's like they went and, and pulled on the garment. Teacher, do you care that we're perishing? At least that's how I read it. But let me just tell you how it went down. Teacher, do you care we're perishing? Come on, Jesus, wake up, buddy. It says he stood up and he rebuked the wind. And then he says to the sea, silence, be still. Hush, be still. And then the next verse, well, the skip of verse says the, the sea became calm. But guess what? In verse 40, I want you to see what he said to the disciples. They were struggling with what they believed. Why are you so timid? How is it you, that you have no faith? You spent time with me. I know that's what Jesus is saying. You know I have the ability to do this. Why are you so timid? Why are you afraid? How is it you have no faith? Where is your faith? Guess what? The disciples who hung out with Jesus for three and a half years, they struggled just like you and I do. Man, the creator of the universe lives in you. How awesome is that? Storms, get this, still come even when Jesus is in the boat. 
You can be walking with Jesus, you can be praying, you can be loving on people, you can be serving, you can doing every, be doing everything you believe God's called you to do, and guess what? You're still possibly gonna go into a storm. You're either in a storm, coming out of a storm, or going into, a, I mean, yeah, you're in one, coming out of one, or going into one. Doesn't that bless you? <laughs> That's life. That's life. Do you believe God wants to use you Do you really believe he wants to use you? He wants to use you in the middle of what you're going through. The devil wants us to waste our lives in sin and worry and fear and regret and guilt. John 10, 10, look at this. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they might have life and have it abundantly. Wow. Jesus wants us to have life abundantly. The devil wants to steal your joy, kill your hopes, destroy your faith. God has a promise for you, but do you believe it? Do you believe God wants to use you? Which leads me to my last significant insight. God has a purpose for you, but are you available? God has a purpose for you, but are you available? He wants us to be others focused. I was driving down 183, a guy cut me off. He had a honk if you love Jesus bumper sticker. I'm like, honk, 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 honk. Come back here, buddy, I'll show you some love. (laughs) I wasn't others focused that day. I was Randy focused. He cut me off. I was gonna let him know about it. You wanna know what somebody's really like? Ride with them in a car. You'll figure it out pretty quick. You'll see the real person. Liz will say occasionally, I love you, honey, but I don't love you when you drive. It's hard, isn't it? You feel me over here. He's feeling me. But God wants to use us in our circumstances. He wants us to be a witness to others with what we're going through. One Sunday night in the other worship center, my dad was giving the invitation. I felt somebody tap me on my shoulder. I turned around. It was the young man that was my project manager for Draper Custom Homes. He said, would you pray with me? We went down into the altar and we knelt down. He said, Randy, man, I've been watching what you and Elizabeth are going through. I've seen how you guys are being treated by uh, different people. He said, I've seen how y'all have handled it and how gracious you are and what strong faith you have. And then he said these words. He said, whatever you have, I want it. Whatever you have, I want it. What kind of something would somebody get if they said to you in your situation, whatever you have, I want it. They might not want what you have unless God is using you for his glory to be a witness to them in that moment. I led him to Christ. And he's been a member of this church for almost four decades. His name is Todd Butts. Todd and I had lunch this week. I said, hey, could I tell your story? He said, absolutely. We both had something in our eye (laughs) as we talked about what God had done in our lives over the last four decades. And he said, thank you for leading me to Christ. Guess what? God used my bad situation to be a witness to an unbeliever named Todd Butts. Who's God got watching you? Did you know you're the best Christian somebody knows? You're possibly the only picture of Jesus that somebody will ever see. God wants to use you even in the midst of your situation. I'll never forget, we got in the car that Sunday night. I told Elizabeth driving home, I said, honey, 
it was worth losing $750,000 just for Todd to come to Christ. Wow, unbelievable. I would do it again. Not only be a witness to unbelievers, God wants to use us to encourage believers. One day we, we moved to Houston, we moved to Memphis, we came back to Colleyville. We've been paying, so I didn't tell you, I don't think, but we owed the 750,000. We were paying 30,000 a month interest carry, which let me just say we weren't paying it very often. Anybody wanna sign up for that? Remember, if it's $5, remember, it's too much. So $4.4 million worth of construction. So we're back in Texas. I swore I'd never come back, you know, never say never. And the Holy Spirit one day said, hey, we were driving past a company I owed $800 to. The Holy Spirit said, it's time for you to go pay that back. So it was like on a Friday, I called and said, hey, this is Randy Draper. Is so-and-so there, is she still, does she still own this company? And, and they said, yes, she's not here. I said, well, can I leave my name and number? And they said, yeah, we'll have her call you on Monday. Well, Monday morning, I got up and left on a business trip. She did call later in the day, and Elizabeth answered the phone, and she said, hey, this is so-and-so. I'm calling uh, Randy back. Do you know what he needed? And Elizabeth said, yeah. We owe you $800, and we want to come pay it. And Elizabeth said it was dead silence on the other end of the phone. And then she began to sob and cry uncontrollably. And through her broken uh, tears, she began to try to say to Elizabeth, 10 years ago, we didn't need the money. 10 years ago, my husband and I were doing great. We had two homes, we had two businesses, our, you know, on and on. And she said, but I'm divorced now. I still have two homes. I'm trying to sell them. I still have, I have a son who's in first grade and I have a, a business I'm trying to take care of. And she said, Elizabeth, just this morning, I asked God for $800. <laughs> so on Monday morning, she's asking God for $800. On Friday afternoon, God told me to pay her back $800. Does anybody see how God works? Do you understand God wants to use you not in spite of your circumstances, but in the middle of your circumstances to be an encouragement to the people around you, a witness to unbelievers and an encouragement to believers who may be struggling themselves in their own defining moment. God wants to use you as the answer to their prayer. And his timing is perfect. Corrie Ten Boom was a young lady. Her family were hiding Jews during the Holocaust. They got arrested and were thrown into the concentration camps as well. Her dad and her sister died in that, in that concentration camp. She said these words, every experience God gives us, every person he puts in our lives is the perfect preparation for the future that only he can see. She watched her dad and her sister murdered in that camp and she could still say, every experience God gives us, every person he puts in my life is the perfect preparation for me that only he can see. Here's the rest of the story. 
We owed $750,000 plus interest. Interest in the 80s was 14 to 18%. One of my loans, 125,000, was at 18% interest. Wow. 10 and a half years of hell on earth. Full of joy. Can I just add that? <laughs> Worst experience of our lives and the very best experience with Jesus in my life. We paid back $2.2 million in 10 and a half years. But let me just say this. God did it. We can't take credit for it. I'll never forget one January bank called and said, hey, we need nine grand by the 15th. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I don't know where it's going to come from. I told him my testimony. Hey, we're trusting God. He said, don't file bankruptcy. He's going to provide. I go, I'm, I, I'll tell you this. If God provides nine grand by the 15th, you're getting it. <laughs> no kidding. Our commission check from the business God had put us in came on the 10th. Guess what? That check was $9,000 more than what we expected. And we were able to pay that. And that happened month after month, year after year, over those 10 and a half years. God never allowed it to be an easy time in our lives, but he allowed it to be a precious time in our lives. It was our trust and obey moment and God met us at the point of our need. Obedience is a great choice. It releases God's blessing and it starts with trusting him. There was a group I loved in the 80s named New Song. They were a gospel quartet. Man, their harmony was amazing. They had a song that just became particularly precious to me during this time of our lives, and it's called Trust His Heart. Listen to these words. God is too wise to be mistaken. God is too good to be unkind. When you don't understand when you can't see his plan, when you can't trace his hand, trust his heart. Guess what? God's asking you to trust him. And you have a choice. And he has a promise for you. But you have to believe it. And he has a purpose for you. But are you available? What will you choose when you face your trust and obey moment? Let's pray. Thank you, Father, for your word. Thank you for the opportunity to share from my heart the experience you took me on, that trust and obey moment. God, I pray for every person in this room that's going through a situation bigger than they ever dreamed they could survive, greater than anything they've ever experienced in their past. God, I pray that you will minister to them through the love of Jesus in their life, that you'll allow them to make that trust and obey moment your choice, not their choice. God, I pray You'll use them to be a witness to unbelieving around them, to be an encouragement to those that are believers in their uh, realm of, of influence as well. God, use them for your glory this morning. If anybody's here and doesn't know you, Lord Jesus, I pray today they would, they would confess Jesus is Lord and they would believe in their heart that God raised you from the dead. Thank you for your salvation, for the eternity that is before us, 
And I'm grateful in praying these things in your precious name, Jesus. Amen.